Welcome to Sunday Music Soapbox, Season 2, Episode 2, everyone. And my, oh my, do we have quite the special guest today. You may have seen our guest today recently on TV as a musical guest on The Colbert Report, hammering out beats for the brand new Power Trio project called 13. Or perhaps you caught him pounding the skins on Saturday Night Live a few months back with Jack White. Or perhaps you've heard him throwing down beats on recordings and live performances for Pete Rock, Black Milk, Taleb Kweli, Gloria Gaynor, Slum Village, Jamie Liddell, Dwight Yoakam, Nas, Pee Wee Ellis, Lorenzo Giovanotti, Queen Latifah, and many more. Yes, yes, my friends, we have drummer musician Daru Jones in the house today. Oh, I'm so pumped. Daru and I had a wonderful, fun conversation uh, talking about his drumming roots, his current projects, growing up in the 90s, 90s hip-hop, and of course, his unusual drum kit setup. So here we go. Here's my interview, drummer to drummer with powerhouse drummer, Daru Jones. Hey, we are blessed on Sunday Music Soapbox to have Daru Jones. What's up, man? Hey, I'm, how are you, brother? Dude, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to, to chill with us on Sunday here. And uh, how's your day going? My day is going good so far. It's kind of late, a late start, but yeah, I'm glad to see the sun outside. So, yep. I know. Beautiful day so far. We're thawing out here in Nashville, aren't we, finally? Yeah, it's, it's looking up. It's been tough because I was I was snowed in and iced in for a couple of days. Okay. And, yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's funny when people, you know, when the snow is on the ground, it's, ever since I've been here, people are always like frantic. <laughs> when they see yeah. snow on the ground, I'm like, yo, just got to know how to drive through it. You know what I'm saying? Just drive. Just take your time. Yeah. But yeah. people, they just literally stay indoors. And I'm like, man, we... We we used to that, so. dude. I'm I'm getting a little bit older. I know about yourself, man. I took the other day, man. I took one step outside and bit it. <laughs> I oh. bit it on my ass, bro. It was bad. I went right back inside. Okay. I was like, I can handle this, but that's you know that was the day it was really iced over. It wasn't like sloshy or anything, or you couldn't even make a snowball, you know. Oh, okay, so. now I understand. You got to be careful. Got to be <laughs> careful, brother. We need we need all four of our limbs to do what we do. So you got to be careful, brother. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'd love to uh, start with some some basic stuff from the beginning. Growing up as a kid, what, what was the first concert that you saw or drummer that you saw that got you hooked? And did you start on drums even? Yeah, I started on drums. Um, that's a good question. I started yeah. off playing in church, you know, gospel. That's my back. That's my, uh, you know, that's my roots. And my mom and dad, they're both musicians, you know what I'm saying? And they both played. My mom, she, she still played. My, my papa passed away, but my mom, she still plays the organ, and um, yeah, so when I would go to church, you know, a lot of my family, like my cousins and uncles, they played drums, so that was at the age of four where I, I felt like I was <laughs> I was ready to, 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 to start that. One, one factor that I want to bring up, too, that I never talked about in other interviews was sure. going up in church, um, you know, I remember them having, like, the main drum kit set up, because I'm like, I was trying to remember, okay, obviously I was too short. I remember them having a school bench so my feet could, you know, basically reach the kick pedal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just rem- I just remembered that I had another cousin that started playing the drums, and he had one of those little CB700 kits. I don't know if you're familiar for, for, for oh, yeah. with those. Yeah. yeah, the little baby ones. So I remember um, they had two kits set up. So basically, you know, the main drummer would play, and then we would be on the other side, you know, of, of, of the pulpit, and we would be playing along. But – Everything was so loud where you you couldn't really hear what we were doing, but I just remembered that that's that was like some of my beginnings nice. playing on my cousin's little CB seven hundred drum kit. But yeah, so you know, fast forwarding, 
you know, I was into the gospel drummers, you know, at the time. It was um, a guy by the name of Dana Davis from Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. And he played with a group called the Winans. Um, yep. And those were some of my first concerts I remember going to see. You know, we're, we're, we're not necessarily the Winans per se, but it was concerts um, where he was playing drums. They had a convention called, um, what was the name of that convention? Oh, Young Artists for Christ. Okay. And there was like kind of like a conference where they would have, you know, guests. It was like a, like a seminar, kind of like a, a master class, but it was with the choir and it was, it was pretty a big deal. And, you know, they would, they would bring um, choirs from other cities to come, you know, be a part of this thing. But anyway, I would see Dana and I remember those were some of the concerts and I remember seeing, oh, actually I remember seeing Marvin Winans. Um, he was one of the lead singers in the Winans group. He had a choir yeah. called Perspective. Perfective Page Choir, mm-hmm. and you, we would go to those those concerts, and they would have what you call the Midnight Musicals, which were similar to you know a secular concert where they would have like the headliner artist. But in the church, they called the Midnight Musicals. So basically, the concerts would start at like eight or nine o'clock, and then they would end at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot. So yes. So those are some of the concerts that I remember seeing. And then there was another drummer I was checking out by the name of um, Michael Williams. He played with a group called Commissioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the group with Fred Hammond. I'm not sure if have you heard of, have you heard of that group before? No. Commission. Okay. Have you heard of Fred Hammond? Yeah. So Fred, that was Fred Hammond's first group that I know of that it was in. He was the bassist and he was the one of the lead vocalists. And yeah, so wow. it was a lot of music. A lot of we would go to a lot of concerts. You know, in Detroit to see the Clark Sisters. You know, they they were a part of um, our jurisdiction, which was called Kojic, which means Church of God in Christ, but they just um, shortened it as Kojic. But yeah, we had a lot of those. So those are some of the concerts I remember going to seeing. On the secular side, I'm trying to remember. Um, well, sticking with the gospel for a second, my first yeah. concert, I mean, I had first rock concerts, that, but my first concert, my dad took me to see Andre Crouch. Oh, wow. I, wow. And that, you know, I wasn't, I don't even know if I was, a, I started playing about the same time. I started playing about four years old. I was taking lessons. Okay. And uh, okay. and that was an experience, you know, and then and then uh, we'll get into the uh, non, you know, the secular stuff. But you were you were trying to remember uh, what your first secular uh, concert or influence was or did you hear a record or something? Yeah. So basically, basically what happened, you know, I, I grew up in a church where, you know, it was super strict. Everything outside of gospel was secular. We were told not to listen to. But yeah. of course, being mischievous and I wanted to start, you know, I felt like my gifts were going to be bigger outside of the, of the church, but I'm thankful for my upbringing. No diss. But anyway, yeah. to make a long story short, I had an older mentor. You know, we all kind of came up the same way, but he was into to jazz. Mm. And um, I'll never forget, he had Tony Williams live in New York on VHS tape. <laughs> that was the first. Well, you know, let me let me let me let me go yeah, back. Yeah. So I remember my mom put me in chart reading lessons as a young teenager, and I remember um, at the end of the lesson when I go pay. You know, they would have the modern drummer magazines, which I was like, yo, what is this? Yeah. Then eventually, um, they, they, the, um, the owner of the, the store, he had all these instructional videotapes out. And I, I was like, man, what are those? And I remember seeing Terry Bozio oh. solo drums. That was, that was actually the first VHS tape my mom bought me. And it was just drums by itself. So that opened up my eyes to, the, to like a whole other world. And then at the same time, my older mentor, he's actually a reverend right now. His name, his name is Roger. He gave me the Tony Williams Live in New York, and that cracked my head. And then, like a month later, another one of my mentors, 
gave me the Buddy Rich Memorial Series Volume Two with Dave oh, yeah. Ruckel, Benny Cotayuda, and Steve Gadd. Chambers. That 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 changed my life, bro. That changed my life, and I was like, "What is this jazz drumming?" Oh. And then I started finding out about all the other guys, Buddy Rich and Omar Hakeem, Dennis Chambers, and I, I just started venturing out, getting all those records and everything that they that they were a part of. So, yep, that's how I got influenced, or or that was my start into the jazz world. Yeah, I I, uh, I used to work at a drum shop. It's in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, called Columbus Pro Percussion. And it, okay. it's run by a cat named Jim Rupp, who used to play with Woody Herman. But uh, that, mm. that was the first time. All those same videos you're talking about, man. That was I started working there in the 90s. And uh, that's the first time I saw those videos blew me away. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, man. And then uh, yeah. I actually, young, before that, I got to see Buddy Rich. And uh, it was it was actually about six months before he passed. But he was still smoking it, man. I got to meet him. And uh, years later, I got to meet Kathy, as I, I think I sent you that podcast episode. She's really fun and uh, still keeping that that legacy of Buddy alive. It's pretty cool. Um, wow. How was Buddy? How was Buddy when you met him? Ooh. Uh, so so he uh, I told the story on that podcast. Pretty funny. So he in, during the show. he So this this concert was not announced. OK, it was like kind of those. Mm-hmm. You remember those 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 James Brown concerts that were kind of impromptu when they changed bands and Bootsy and them came in and the, the yeah. promoter would like just put it like my parents actually went to that concert. I think I sent you that link. Uh, my James, my dad bootlegged the James Brown concert when Bootsy and the band oh, just yeah, showed up. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, it was one of those concerts where it wasn't really announced. So we get there. My dad happened to get front row seat. I sit there and I'm watching and he's cracking jokes the whole time. You know, it's not just his drumming. I mean, gosh, I mean, he never that's one of those cats that never he never faltered. He never got weak towards the end. He got better and better and better. I'm uh, I was 15. And he's, he's still blowing me away. And I'm just starting to learn about jazz, you know, but I'm watching his, mm. I did drum and bugle corps. I was in drumline. So I knew a little bit about chops, but stuff like he talked to the audience. He'd be like, so how's Canton, Ohio? There's, there's not much to do in Canton, Ohio, other than the pro football hall of fame is there, which is pretty sweet, but there's not a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> and they have the football hall of fame there. And somebody shouted that out. He's like, so what's new? And they're like, pro football. Hall? He's like, like I said, what's new? You know, he was just hilarious, you know, but he, uh, mm. he took me on the bus. He let me come on the bus. And uh, he had been talking about that movie Aliens. It's not the first one, but the second one with Sigourney Weaver. It came out at that time. And he was he went to see it in my hometown the night before. There's only two theaters in the town. I was like, shit, I could have been wow. here with Buddy Rich. Could have been there. And I think my friends were <laughs> going to go see it. That was the night. Anyway, uh, I, I didn't know what to say to him. You know, I was like, oh, Mr. Rich, uh, I'll, I'll take your advice on that movie. <laughs> He's like, oh, did you see it, son? I was like, no. He's like, oh. And he said it was a terrible movie. He said the plot sucked. I'm thinking, man, that that's a science fiction like shoot 'em up movie. That's a gore movie. It's not a plot. But he was. Uh, that's funny. He was great. He was really kind to me. He signed my uh, my cassette inlay for that Both Sides album, which is one of my favorites. It's got a lot of Buddy Rich. It's got some Max Roach on there as well. I think when they're doing kind of the you know the trade offs on that. Mm-hmm. Get that track, so. yep. Yeah, man. We came up at a good time. I'm, I'm glad we both was able to get exposed. Not to cut you off. Yeah, no. You know, the, the time that we came up, man, just when the BHS, when DCI was popping and, you know, when we had to try, we had to transcribe everything with our ear mentally to figure out what they were doing. We came up at a good time and I won't trade that. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. I'm glad because I, I, I think it definitely gave me advantage. And something special, something different. Yeah, and that, not knocking, you know, not knocking where the other guys are coming from because I know things change. Yeah. But I just think that it, it gave us a different type of foundation. Yeah. yeah, and now kids, you know, like I teach rock band here in Nashville. I think I told you, and but it's amazing, you know. I love that we had VHS. You know, video is such a great tool, 
And now kids just got YouTube. I mean, like kids that are so bright. I've got a couple kids. They just watch YouTube and like, all right, I've got the song learned. I'm like, what? Like, you know, yeah. and they, they, there's so much information on YouTube, which is <laughs> it's a great educational tool, you know, for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, did you speaking of were you ever in like school band or drumline growing up? No. Oh, no, cool. but you knew about no, it. it. Sounds never... like you mentioned DCI. You knew a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew about it, and, and you know, I was shy. I was shy. I yeah. mean, I dressed nice, but I was really shy <laughs> when I was in school. Yeah. <laughs> um, because trying to be like my dad. My dad was like the best. Felt like he was the best dresser. But anyway, um, yeah, I was really shy. But when I when I when I did, I have I had some friends in in the band class, and when I would go, they would they would flip. It was like, man, I, I know you play drums and. They were trying to get me to come back, and I was just shy. I just, I was like, man, I, I just, you know, I didn't want to. I, I didn't want. I want to always take the, the low road, yeah. you know. But eventually, you know, I built, done some things young in my career where it built up my confidence. You know, I never forget. Yeah. I did, I did this um, stage play when I was, I don't know if I was. It was either fourteen or fifteen. It was a gospel jazz show that I was playing with, and we we did it in Saginaw, Michigan. It was with Vanessa Bell Armstrong. That after after that basically they had the they had the band set up in the pit so you couldn't see them yeah. and the actors they were on stage so we basically played the music through the whole entire you know um, stage play and that was my first time doing something like that yeah. and I never forget when when they brought this when they brought the band up to give the the the, the, the fade to black credits and people came up to me and they were just like yo they couldn't believe it they that gave me the confidence and that was actually my first time I met Chris Coleman Chris was young he was you know, a little younger than I was, but that's the first time I met Chris. And I remember one of the guys in the band, he was like, yo, this is going to be the next guy. This is going to be, and he was, they put him on the drums. He played and I was just like, yo, this cat is killing him. He was young. I mean, we both were young, yeah. but I think, I think I got a few years over, over Chris. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was, that gave me the confidence. Like maybe I can't do this drum thing for yeah. real. <laughs> Building blocks, so, man, you know? Yeah, yeah. You get sir. a little confidence, yes, you get take the next step, get a little bit more confidence, keep going. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But yep. That's awesome, man. Let's okay. talk about your, your current your current drum set up, right? Okay. I know you get a lot yes. of uh, compliments on this and how cool it looks and everything like that. A lot of drummers say that uh-huh. your setup is really awesome. And and some might actually say that it's unorthodox because all the angles you got, you know, and, and I think it's super cool. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you came up with that set and that vibe? Because it's, it's excellent. And it, it, is it difficult to play like that? Just tell me a little bit about that setup. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm glad people are digging it, but I know there's a, a whole other side of people that's kind of being, you know, critic. Yeah. And they say what they say. Right. But, you know, that's that's well, life. I had, I that's had life. you know, I, I, like for me, if, <laughs> if I were to sit on your kit and play, I might need a chiropractor after about an hour, but I don't know, you know? You know? <laughs> Go ahead. But But, you know, I basically started that um, mid 2000s. So I remember at that time I had started becoming a hip hop drummer in the community. You know, I remember um, seeing the Roots. They were the first hip hop band that I saw play live hip hop. And I want to shout out Questlove, oh, yeah. you know, for what they've done and, and that that for being that example. And one of the things in the hip hop community they talk about is like a big deal. What I came up about people copying or and they call it biting. Yeah. So it's like. If, if you go in a room and somebody got on the same outfit or they sound like you lyric wise, or you, you get in, a, you, you, you like, you, you have problems. Oh, yeah. you like, you was about to get in the, about to get in the fight. So that particular, those rules always resonated with me. Although 
when I grew up, I had the people that I was, I was influenced, by, influenced by, like the Vinnies and, you know, all those people. And then I would try to mimic their setup. But I knew at some point I need to get develop my own identity. So I remember when I started becoming a hip-hop guy because I had started playing with a group called Slum Village. Um, they're the group that Jay Dilla was in. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with Jay, yeah. Jay Dilla. Um, he's a he's a producer. He passed away in 2006. Right during that during during that time between 2005 2006, you know when I started working with Slum, and then um, I had started working with a lot of other hip hop groups. Um, I was just trying to find my identity because basically when I started playing in hip hop groups, I didn't need all those drums. You know, I didn't need a full five piece kit because the right. music it didn't require a lot of notes. So I was just trying to figure out how could I downsize my kit. So taking a step you know, a page out of Amir's book, Quest Love, he just had the bare bones snare drum in the floor time. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And that was just, when I first saw the kid in, in like the magazine, I thought it was weird too. I was like, man, where's the, where's the rest of this guy's kit? Yeah. But he, he was some of the funkiest drumming that I heard. You know, he made oh, yeah. it work. And then I was like, okay, cool, cool. So I went from playing a five-piece kit and then I had a small car at the time and I was doing like two and three gigs a night sometimes. And I was just trying to fit my drums in the car and that seeing Quest Kit, get, you know, inspired me like, okay, well, I don't, I don't need all yeah. those drums. I can just take a cut. So I had to just figure out how to play all the different genres with a small kit. And then I was like, man, when I started getting all the hip hop work, I started working with Tyler Kweli. He's a Brooklyn rapper, one of the best, you know, that's ever yep. done it. Um, he came out in the 90s, had a group called yep. Black Star. And then I was working with Ski Beats. He produced Jay-Z's Reasonable, Reasonable Doubt, one of the biggest hits. And all those groups that I started working with, I started, like, I made a name for myself. And I was like, man, eventually people started talking about me. And I was like, man, I don't want Questlove to see my drums because I'm copying <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what can I do to, to, to give me an identity? So it was awful looks. Yeah. So when, one day when I woke up, I was like, man, what would happen? Because basically I played traditional, traditional grip, and that's the jazzier grip, you know. And I was already doing the snare drum that way. And then one day I was like, man, what would happen if I do the drum, the, the floor time and the cymbals? So it was awful looks, awful looks. And then eventually I had to grow into it and I had to figure out how to play the thing. So that resulted to me having to learn a whole new vocabulary. And I was still playing fusion gigs at the time. So I had to figure out what vocabulary I could play within this configuration. So to make a long story short, it was awful looks. Yeah. It was no type of... Um, scientific reason like it made me play better i had to figure yeah. it out but i just i just didn't want you know the my kid to look like quest and i didn't want no problems you know what I'm saying? <laughs> have you talked to him look. about this have you guys had a laugh about it no we haven't but i always mention this in my interviews because <laughs> i always like to pay pay respects and yeah. pay tribute you know to people that that inspire me because i yeah. you know we all are inspired some people they never mention who inspires yeah. them but I, I i'm not insecure like I, i'm 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 thankful that I work really hard, you know, and, and I've changed my configuration even since then. I took it, I took it a lot further to my current setup where now I have everything on the left side, all the times on the left side, and I have symbols on the right side. So, you know, I like to switch it up when I start when I start seeing people, you know, copy or catch on. I, I had to do something different now. Yeah. All right, cool. That's what y'all want to do. So, you know, I, I like to you know keep evolving, and that's what we that's what we have to do as drummers yeah. and musicians. You know, depends on what kind of drummer or musician that you want to be. If you want to have longevity, you got to keep yeah. evolving. Well, that's it, man. That's kudos for you for like reinventing yourself, man. You know, like 
and coming up. That's you're exactly right. I mean, you got to keep moving and you can't stay stagnant, you know? And, uh, one thing about, one thing about quest love is, uh, I've always liked the drumming. In fact, I've got, I've got the first roots album on vinyl. I found a couple years ago. Mm. And, uh, but when mm. I, what I really got even more respect for quest love is I'm a big Stuart Copeland fan, the police. When they got back together and they had that question answer session at the rock or the whiskey, a go, go in LA or something. And there's quest in the audience, you know, asking the police questions. And like, he's, a, he's like me, he's like a historian too, you know? So I love, I love cats play, but they also know their history. And so I got a lot of even more respect for quest on that. And uh, what's funny is I bought one of his little, the breakbeats kits for my son. Right. Um, and mm. I love it so much. He stopped using it. I'm like, well, I'm going to use it. <laughs> so I started using it on a lot of gigs, you know, little anything, man, like jazz gigs, little fusion funk gigs. That little bass drum has a lot of punch. It's really nice, man. So uh, big shout out to Questlove for sure. Yeah, shout out to Quest. For me, overall, you know, I have my heroes that I admire. And it's so crazy and bizarre that I'm friends with a lot of the heroes that I looked up to, like Benny Caliuta. You know, we talk, and he, you know, he, he's a fan of what I do, and even Dana Davis, people that I look up to. But it's, it's just, it's crazy because when I speak to them, they're like, man, you remind me of how we were when we came up. Uh, everybody was authentic and trying to find their own lane of yeah. identity. And he was like, you know, that's not really, basically nowadays, people, they just see what works for you, and it's just like monkey see what monkey do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's just like, man, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I know as, as kids and teenagers, when we developing that's what we do but when you grow up as a, as a man you start paying your own bills you gotta you know eventually at some point you should learn you should want to become yeah. coming to your own you know what i'm saying so my thing is i never want my heroes to see any, any of my videos and be like man this cat is just yeah. writing my style so that was always in the back of my mind so although in some of my career i was playing the benny chops just like yeah. everybody but eventually i had to start figuring out how how can i transcribe and make my yep. own into it because i never want my heroes to be right. mad at me right you know what i'm saying or think so that was my thing even with amir i had to figure out how can i do some different vocabularies just the people that i i admired so i just think that's important that's what that was important to me i didn't want my heroes that i look up to to finally see find out about me and they'd be like man this this guy is just a, a yeah. knockoff yeah <laughs> i don't want to be a knockoff so i'm still growing i'm still figuring things out but yeah that's that's my goal. It doesn't have to be for everybody's goal, but that's that's what I want to do for my Good life. on you, man. Way yeah. to stay humble. Um, and that's that's very admirable, you. awesome. You've done a lot of things in, in the gospel world, the R&B world, hip-hop. I mean, I've seen all that stuff. Was the Jack White gig, was that like your first rock crossover, or had you been playing some rock? And, and how did that all happen with Jack White? How did that get started? So that's a good question. So I could say on a, on a live performance tip, well, you know what? I got I got. Let me get this correct. So there was a rock band that I joined in New York. Um, I won't even mention the band sure. because you know we, we, we everybody went their separate ways. But it was with a young lady and and two other um, local, you know, cool players. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying one of the guys is, is a good homie. But yeah, um, we had started a rock band and and actually the the female artist she yeah. was dope. She was really dope. I don't know what she's doing now, but we have went into one of the studios and we cut a whole album. Of, of rock and roll and this was like i want to say the early this might have been like around 2009 yeah. um and yeah stuff was killing so that was 
anyway, that was one of the first rock situations. And then at the same time, working, I was playing with a, a hip hop producer and rapper from Detroit named Black Milk. Oh yeah, he's and, like the um, first third man record, you know, black hip hop guy, isn't he? I yeah, know. when I Jack know. started doing those collaborations. <laughs> <laughs> when Jack started producing those collaboration um, EPs, well, I forgot what they were called. They were just yeah. two song joints. Um, basically, um, Black Milk got got you know, there was a project called um, that Black Milk put out called Album of the Year. And there's a rock, there's a track on that record that has a rock sample mm-hmm. called Deadly Metley. And I think I don't know if this is the for real story, but from what I've heard, Jack heard that song and got excited. He rushed out to Black Milk's management. Which his manager is Hex Murder. Shout out to yeah. Hex Murder. <laughs> um, he's he's a Detroit he's a Detroit he's a Detroit yeah. staple. Like he's you know helped a lot of those guys you know that in the rap community. You know what I'm saying he's an advocate and he's was around Dilla and you know um, that 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 whole crew. So anyway, um, Jack wanted to work with Black and, and basically I was playing I played in Black Mook's touring band and I never forget. I remember Black said Jack was offering to use natural musicians, but um, Black was like, nah, I got, I got my guys that I tour with. So I, I want to thank Black Milk oh, for yeah. bringing me, you know, including, including me. So we, so they flew us down. We went to um, Third Man, which is an all-in-one facilities. Yeah. They have, um, you know, they do the performance. And, and we, we actually, we, we had one day where we recorded at Jack's home studio. And the following day we had a concert at Third Man Records. And, that's how that all started. We 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 went to 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 do the recording, and then we did the performance at Third Man, and Jack was in the audience. Um, I had a drum solo in one of the songs, um, "Losing Out," and Jack, I think, I, I don't, I can't remember. I think he was in the back of the room, but he jumped up <laughs> in the air, and was like, "Yeah," and um, I didn't think nothing about it. And I went back to New York, and then a couple months later, his team reached out to me about Jack working with RZA, who was a producer from from yep. um, the Wu Tang Clan. And he was like, yo, I want you to play drums. Can you, can you, and he finally emailed me directly and asked if I'd come down. So that, that's how I joined, started working. That's awesome, man. I've been, I've been to Third Man. I took my students there. So when I was in Atlanta, I was teaching marching band and drumline. And we came up, they had this program there called uh, Schools and Choirs at Third Man. And uh, we came up, we had a competition at Vanderbilt Mm. with these kids. And they were, they were awesome set of kids. But we went in and we threw down uh, the, the drum cadence. The drum cadence I wrote called Batteries Included. And uh, Jack happened to be there. He's great. Met the kids, and um, he really liked the drum cadence. And uh, we had a great day. It was that was when I, I first met him. I hadn't seen him since then, but uh, I love that room. That facility is awesome. You know. Yeah, it, it was such a cool experience. I never forget. I mean, although there was a mishap because you know when I flew down to Nashville to work in the studio with him and RZA, RZA the day of the session before we go in, Jack gets a call and RZA canceled. He couldn't make it, so we were all like heartbroken. I was heartbroken, and Jack was so bad. He was like, "Well, I don't want to send you back." So instead of sending me back to New York, we we cut in the studio for two days, and it was me. Um, I want to say it was um, LJ that plays with the Rack on Tours, and it was a, it was a couple other people. So we ended up tracking. Yep. We did like four songs in two days, and then I remember the rest of two, 2011 goes by. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to figure out whatever happened to that music. Then I get an email from from Jack's team again, with Jack inquiring about my availability from six months to to like to a year, and I'm like, man, what is this all about? And I and I told Jack's team like, yo, you know, at that time yeah. I was playing with three artists. You know, I was juggling 
Talib Kweli, Black Milk, and um, Ski Beats. And I had Jay, another artist I was working with, Daisy Joplin, plays violin. So my schedule was yep. booked six, six months to advance already. And they were all inquiring about my availability for January. And I was like, well, what's going on? And then Jack emailed me personally and said, hey, those tracks that you record, they, they're going to be a part of my yeah. solo record, Blunderbuss. So it, it turned out to be a blessing that although RZA didn't show up, you know, Jack ended up starting his solo career. And that's how that all got started. And then that was my first, you know, rock and roll um, touring. Trash Tongue Talker. Is that the first track you did or one of the first? One of the first tracks. And, and, and what I like, what I like, what I appreciate about Jack is, although he's a drummer, which kind of made me nervous because I'm like, man, this yeah. cat knows what's good. So I need, <laughs> I better come with it. But what I like about Jack is he hired me because he liked my background. So yeah. obviously I didn't need to do what Meg did. And, um, you know, I would be sometimes fumbling around, just doing little little riffs on the drums, and Jack was like, hey, let's use that. So that intro that intro drum part, that was just from me practicing and doing my normal, you know, you yeah. know when you get in the studio, when you get yeah. a drum kit, you just kind of warm up. So that was that was like my little warm-up um, <laughs> beat, you know, that I was doing, and he was like, he oh, loved, man, man, I like he that. He loves that soulful, rawful shit. He can, he can sense yeah. that shit, you know, you hear it on all his records. Man. Yeah, so I'm thankful that Jack, he basically, he sees whatever he, he, people that, from what I'm saying, whatever your specialty is in, he likes to use that and bring it to the table. Tell me about this new Project 13. I saw it on, on the Colbert show, man. It was hot. Tell me tell me about it. Okay, yeah, so 13 is a collaboration project between um, Queens, New York rapper, Farrell Munch. He's legendary, one of the best rappers out there. Um, yep. He was a part of a group called Organized Confusion back in the 90s. And um, he, had, he had a vision of doing a rock project like a decade ago. Well, we actually started working on this project like four years ago. And the other member is Marcus Machada. He plays guitar. Marcus is a good friend of mine from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. And we play in a lot of other bands together. Basically, my relationship with Marcus, when we started working together, I was like, man, I want to bring this cat out. Every, every band that I play in, and that's what, we, that's what I've been doing. Like when I started working with Jamie Liddell, He's an artist, vocalist from um, the UK. And, you know, I brought Marcus in, you know, for the touring band and every, every other thing that I was involved with, you know. So Marcus is a part of that band and, and I, I play the yeah. drums and we just a trio, power trio. And we, it's, it's, it's the, hip, the vibes is hip hop and rock and roll. Um, I think that's something Marcus wanted to do. Although he's, even in the way that he raps, he, 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 he already has that rock and roll aggression. But yeah, we we've been working on this project for like four years, you know, and glad that it's finally seeing the light. And yep, the record is out. A magnific a magnificent day for exorcism, which <laughs> I hope people don't get scared, you know, by by the by the the title tracks. It's the theme. We like we basically, you know, yep. we got a song called Six Six Six. It's a playoff three three letter yep. um three word um sentences. And um yeah, so people, it's like a whole thing. We basically exposing yeah, the ugliness of America, stuff that we've been dealing with. So it's just like, don't don't judge the book um, by its cover. Like, this yeah. is a, a conceptual album. Like, we're talking about issues that we've been dealing, and we we, we did we want to change. We need to change the narrative. We need to do better. And I, I feel like the COVID is Mother Nature, so like, like telling us, like y'all, y'all better, yeah, y'all better change your ways. I remember seeing like the Transformer movies. And it seems like we live yeah. in that right now. I don't know if you've seen the Transformer movies, but a lot of a lot of those things are about yep. saving Earth, figuring out, you know. And I think the COVID really, really, yeah. you know, uh, it's a message. It's a message for all of us humans to, you know, try to 
be sensitive and be conscious of how we treat our brother and sister and also appreciate our loved ones, you know, back to the basics, being respectful because you don't never, you don't, you, you never know you may not see them tomorrow. So the, the album is about exposing the uglies of what we've been dealing with and, and hopefully we can change the narrative and be, we can be advocate. So check it out. It's out, it's out right now on all digital platforms. Nice. Does your mom yeah. know you got a song 666 on your album? <laughs> I don't know if she does. And my mom, my mom, my mom's a missionary now. So I had to watch how I move because she'd be on my socials. And I, I I get that text message or a call from my mom's like, yo, son, son, my mom's be watching. But she do. I'm, I'm grateful that that she's built the confidence to know that I, I definitely keep my roots. You know, I, I, I think that was their fears. And I think that was the thing about growing up Pentecostal. I don't think it was so much about the music per se, because when I listen to a lot of the gospel stuff, I'm like, yo, this stuff sounds just yeah. like the secular stuff, but just in gospel. You know what I'm saying? Like they all were kind of like, like, um, yeah. what's a good example? Like I'll take you there. That's a song that right. that I heard in gospel. I didn't even know it was a secular song, but they would basically in gospel they would take the secular words out and make it gospel. So I just think you know, just from me not you know going past being super super religious to just having my personal relationship, I just think that they just didn't yeah. want me to get caught into drugs and, and being strung out and because th- th- that was a narrative that was painted yep. around you know being a musician you know you in the jazz world so I, I think and I, I've done that you know I'm thankful I, I, I haven't done e- any of those things and no judgments because we all have our vices our evils and our you know not evils but we all have our yeah our vices and things we got to work on but but I just think the intentionally wise she knows that whatever I'm, I'm involved with I'm always going to have that spiritual undertone and I'm, and I'm striving to keep that with whatever, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm involved with. And sometimes you got to be on the battlefield. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing about people, should, you know, hopefully they get in church. Like, people that go to church, they are already saved or, you know, or trying to be. But we got to be able to go out in the battlefield and go on those other turfs to be a witness and be an example. So everything that I'm doing, that's what I'm, I'm trying to be a witness and be an example, you know, to show the spiritual side of that spiritual man that we all have and woman that we have inside. Daru Jones, soldier of rhythm, man, for sure, you know, out there laying it down. We, we, we love all the stuff you're doing, man. And, uh, and it's, it's great to learn about some back, give us some background. Thanks for spending time with us. And, uh, and I'll leave you with this. I sent you a couple tracks. I don't know if you, but my first, my first concert, I got to see Steve Ferroni live average white band. I was six and Mm. I sent you that track, a love of your own. Mm. I got to hear it. I'm not good with titles. It's funny. When I would hear records on the radio, because yeah. my dad was not, you know, super born again like that when I was young. But he, when I would get in this car, he was playing like the Parliament, <laughs> all the stuff that we couldn't listen to, Michael Jackson. Yeah. But I don't know, I don't know who were the drummers for those records until later on. And then some of the music, when I started playing the cover bands, I had to go learn these songs that I probably should have, have already knew. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's a song that I heard, but I didn't realize Steve was on it. But my head was just cracked because I, it's some music that I heard. He was on some project that I heard that he was on. I I, I didn't even know that him was, oh. it was him. Steve Ferroni, just mm. it's amazing how just how funky he was with Average White Band, and I I, I still go back and listen to the records. Th- that song "A Love of Your Own" was on a Yo. less popular album. Yeah, I think it's still one of the best. Maybe we can have you on another time, man, and we could talk more drum tracks and and geek out more about drums. But I'm sure glad you got to join us today, Daru. Well, you can also plug another record. Oh God, yeah, I, um, I know, Pete, yeah. Rock, Pete Rock. He's a, a legendary producer from the '90s. 
Yeah, so I'm in this I'm in this band called the Soul Brothers, and we we also just re- released. I saw that. Yeah. Um, a record called Pete Rock and the Soul Brothers, Peace Instrumentals Three. Yeah, please plug that because both of those both of those artists and records are that's huge. I'm thankful to be a part of them. And Pete Rock, oh, yeah. he's been um, you know, he's one of the best hip hop producers, and he's he's a you know him and Premier. They kind of, you know, staples of the boom bap of that Pacific yeah. jazz boom bap sound. That's Pete Rock. You know what I'm saying? In my 90s hip hop, I am all about Far Side, Diggable Planets. Diggable Planets is one mm-hmm. of my favorite, favorite. Uh, and I, I like okay. I like Blowout Comb better than I like the first one. Oh, yeah. Blowout Combs is crazy. Blowout Comb, that was, that was life changing for me when I heard that. I was just like. The jazz, they, that was an innovative record. Love that stuff, man. So uh, I'm, I'm down with the boom babble. And I'm a historian too, man. So yeah. I love even learning more. So some of the stuff you shared today, it was, it was nice to get some more knowledge. So I appreciate it. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had to skate, but I, I, yeah, you know, the conversation good. was going good. And we have been trying to do this for a while. So thanks for being patient. Yeah, congratulations on the move too, bro. Thanks so much for coming, man. Thanks for having me. And um, it's all good, bro. All right, man, that was so fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Daru Jones. Don't go anywhere because I'm going to give you a sample of the project 13. This hits so hard, you guys. Check this out. Support the project. It's speaking real things on stuff that's going on in our country right now. It's it's a very artistic statement, very bold statement. And this track is called Goat's Head. Check it out for a few moments. Okay, and that was a sample of Goat's Head by the heavy-hitting Power Trio 13. Support that project. Also, make sure you support Pete Rock and the Soul Brothers. New record called Pete Stramentals 3. Daru's on there kicking it. Thanks so much for listening today. We're going to send you out with the drum cadence I was talking about that was recorded at Third Man Records. It's called Batteries Included. Enjoy and stay tuned. Thanks again for listening.